0: You know, I I will say I'm getting kind of tired of saying that I'm thankful for the technology that allows us to be together this morning. I still am, but it's getting harder and harder to say that as this drags on, and I'd love to be with you, and I'd love for all of us to be together under one roof, but we'll play it as it comes, and so for another week, you're watching ugly Face online. I appreciate you tuning in, and I appreciate you worshiping with us this morning. You know, there is one thing that is true in every single culture, whether it's a remote village somewhere in Nepal or a tribe in Africa, there is one thing that always holds true no matter what culture you're a part of. Any guess what it might be? If you said eating food, then pat yourself on the back because you are correct. No matter what culture you're in, sharing a meal is common among people. People eat food with other people. That's just what they do. If you are eating taco bueno five times a week by yourself in your car, you've got a problem. Now, two times a week is probably fine, but five times a week, that's a no-no. Sharing a meal is something that is common to all cultures and something that we do on a regular basis right here in America, right here even in Abilene, Texas. We do this As the church as well, we share a fellowship meal, a potluck as we call it, after services on a Sunday morning or Sunday night. We share a meal as the young adults or as the solo servants or small groups, whatever it may be, coming together and sharing a meal is common to our experience. The first Christians often got together to share a meal. In fact, that's how church really started as meeting around a table. The first Church services, that we might refer to them as, were common meals and eating characterized these gatherings. This was common to both Jewish and Greco-Roman cultures, even before there was such thing as the church or Christianity. A regular feature of these meals was the conversation and the entertainment that occurred after everyone was finished eating. Although the details uh, as to the formal banquets and how they, how they progressed and how they happened were you know, varied depending on the culture. But just about all of them got together around a U-shaped or C-shaped table. They reclined around this table and they would share a meal together. And then after the meal, all the food and the place would be cleared off. And a big bowl of wine mixed with water called a crater would be brought out and the diners would partake. And this is where the entertainment portion occurred. And again, depending on what the culture or the occasion was, there was all sorts of activities that happened. But mainly it was a time to laugh, to share, to get together and just be in fellowship. It was during this after dinner time that Christians would discuss spiritual matters, as they reclined around the table, it was a time that they would get together and they would sing a hymn, they would pray, they would you know, read scripture together. We do this all the time. Still. We still do this. It is a part of our tradition as Christians today. We gather, gather around a table, we enjoy a meal together. And then after the meal, we maybe have some dessert, maybe a big bowl or crater of coffee is brought out, and we partake as we laugh and as we share together. Sometimes we sing, sometimes we pray, or we we talk about scripture, but these after-dinner conversations are where friendship happens and where friendships are fostered. That's what's happening in the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. It reads, day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Much of the activity of first century Christians occurred around a table. Their identity was found in Christ, but also they were a body that was largely developed by their gatherings involving food, fellowship, and faith. Now I want you to keep all that in mind as we look at what Jesus says in John chapter 15. I want you to keep this in mind as he says that he is the true vine. Let's look at uh, John chapter 15 starting in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, John chapter 15 gives us a seat at the dinner table. You see, the setting of this passage goes all the way back to chapter 13. And what we see in chapter 13 is it's Thursday night. Jesus will be crucified the next day and his disciples are having dinner together. So everything that we read from John chapter 13, verse 4, all the way to John chapter 17 is an after dinner conversation. Now understand that in verse 30 of John 13, Judas Iscariot has left the picture. And so what we have from that point forward is Jesus having an after dinner conversation with his 11 closest friends. And here's the neat thing. We get a place at the table. We get to recline at the table with them in spirit, and we get to hear this after dinner conversation. We have a place at the table. And as we sit in and listen to this conversation, I want us to really focus on two verses that will help us to understand what Jesus is saying. The first one is found in John chapter 14, verse 1. It's repeated in John 14, verse 27. And it's when Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. That means that what we read that point, from that point forward is meant to comfort the disciples, not disturb them, which is an important detail to remember going forward. The second statement is John 15 and verse 11, where Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. These two verses really set the tone for everything that we hear in this after-dinner conversation. These are thesis statements that help us as a listener understand what is going on in this after-dinner conversation. So imagine that as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his closest friends here, we are listening in. You know, uh, hair is a funny thing. How's that for a transition? Uh, Stick with me, I'll make a point. Hair is a funny thing. Sometimes when I get done speaking, I'll go to the back of the auditorium and I'll look at everybody in the auditorium and kind of, you know, maybe see who uh, is visiting, somebody that I need to speak to after services specifically. And I'll stand in the back and sometimes I'll notice uh, a man with his arm around his wife and maybe he's caressing her hair and, you know, uh, hair is a beautiful thing when it's attached to somebody, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times it is for most of us anyway, especially women, you know, the long flowing blonde hair, or brunette hair, or black hair, you know, when it's attached, it's really pretty. If it's flowing and cascading and you know, you have got these curly locks and all these different things, hair can be beautiful when it's attached to someone. But the moment that it becomes unattached, it becomes gross. If you're showering and there's hair in the drain, even if it's mostly your own hair, that's disgusting. Or if you're uh, you know, cleaning out your pipes and you notice that one thing that's clogging in is this clump of hair. It you know, makes you want to gag. Waiter, there's a hair in my food, right? Hair that is attached is beautiful. Hair that's not attached is disgusting. And that's really the point here, believe it or not, in John chapter 15. As long as you're connected, as long as you're connected to the vine, you're good. But the moment you become unconnected or disconnected from the vine, all bets are off. Jesus is saying, be a branch. That's your only job. In order to grasp the full meaning of Jesus's words, we actually need to kind of back up a little bit. Look at verse one again. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. You'll notice that Jesus says, I am the true vine here. He doesn't just say, I am a vine. He says, I am the true vine. And this is important because Jesus is not making some agricultural reference here. We can't get lost in all the horticultural metaphors. Jesus is making a critical allusion to the Old Testament. He's comparing himself to Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the vine. The vine is what represents the people of God. But what's interesting is that whenever this vine imagery is used, it is always used in a negative sense. Take Jeremiah 2, 21, for instance. Yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? The prophet Isaiah, the Messianic prophet, had much to say about the vine. In one place, Isaiah 5 and 7, he says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Israel was not the vine that God intended for them to be. And so Jesus comes along and He calls Himself the true vine. In other words, Jesus is the real, the authentic, the genuine vine. He is the truer and better Israel. Where Israel failed, Jesus would succeed. Our Lord basically says, you think you are the true vine, but you're not. And the reason you think that is because of your bloodline or because of your heritage. But that's not going to save you anymore. You see, Israel was meant to be a light to the other nations to bring into the kingdom, to usher in the Gentiles, but they failed and Jesus has come to succeed where they had failed. And he's basically saying, you're counting on your heritage to save you, but that won't do it. Jesus is the vine of God and no external qualifications, not your bloodline, not your heritage, not some other kind of thing can save you. Their only hope, Israel's only hope could be found in a right relationship with God's true vine. And so, This connection to the Old Testament sets up the entire conversation. Everything is about to change. Jesus is coming to this earth. His coming was to bring about the fulfillment of God's ultimate rescue mission. He's exactly the type of Savior that we need. Not only one who can simply get us out of trouble, but one who walks in our shoes, who is tempted like we are. who deals with the same emotions that we deal with, yet one who is perfectly trusting of God. He is one who represents what Israel was supposed to be. So that's the backstory. That's the uh, the setting of the stage of John chapter fifteen. Everything goes back to the vine. It's about abiding. That's the focus. It's always about connection or connectivity. That's what makes the difference. You know, in uh, 1971, the very first email was delivered. Now it seems like we email everything. It's preferred over what we know as snail mail today. Almost 50 years later, email is the preferred way to send messages. Not just that, we send it through social media, whether it be, you know, uh, Twitter or Facebook or, or, or some other platform on social media. We send direct messages all the time. You know, actually, we have found that you know, most people, it seems, virtually everyone is on, is on one of these social media venues. It seems like everyone has found a connectivity either to Facebook or Snapchat or, or, or some other venue. You think about this, and you think about the connectivity that exists. I know that I get on Facebook, and one of the great benefits of Facebook is that you can connect to people that maybe you hadn't seen in in many, many years, and get to keep up with people and, and, and their lives when you haven't been connected with them for such a long time. But here's the deal. What started as a novelty has turned into a problem for many. In fact, there is a clinical name known as problematic social media use or social media overuse. It's defined as the proposed form of psychological or behavioral dependence on social media platforms, and it affects every area of a person's life, including their spirituality. Spiritual attention deficit disorder is a real thing. It's almost like we're too connected, or, or maybe a better way to put it is we're, we're overly connected to the wrong thing. John 15 is Jesus' way of saying connectivity makes all the difference. But you got to be connected to the right thing. Jesus says, I am the power outlet. I am the source. Make sure you're plugged into me. Sadly, many disciples have plugged into other things. If John 15 does nothing else, it should speak to our hearts about the essentialness of abiding. Life on the vine is the best life because that's the only place where your life finds meaning and in a relationship with the Lord, in a connection with Him. Jesus' focus on John 15 is about relationship and intimacy because that's where it all starts, fruit Production or a lack thereof is simply a manifestation of being connected to the vine. And I know I've said this before, but you know, I provide my kids a cell phone. The, the reason I provided them a cell phone in the first place is not so that they could play video games or so that they could get on Instagram or or any of those social media platforms. The reason that I provide my kids a cell phone is because I want to stay connected. I want to know where they're at. I, I want them to be able to call me if they're in trouble or if they just want to talk. I want to stay connected. I don't care if they can you know, do other things with their phone. I mainly want to make certain that we stay connected. And that's what Jesus wants as well, is this connectivity, the relationship. That's what it's about. But here's what we often do. We often go to John chapter 15 and we ask a question. And the question is this, am I a good branch or a bad branch? And this, of course, comes from a rendering uh, of John 15, 5, and 6 that's not exactly up to context. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. You know, our blood pressure starts to rise. We become gravely concerned. Am I right? Am I fruitful? Am I, am I a good branch? Hopefully, I am. Hopefully, I'm fruitful because if I'm not, I'm going to be firewood for all eternity. We think that the message primarily is about productivity. Do this and earn His favor. Don't do this. Stoke His wrath. But that's not the message that is being conveyed here by Jesus. The picture of a vine and branches signifies a relationship that is defined by growth and maturity. Branches find their life in the vine. They are only productive so long as they're attached to the vine. When you're connected to the source, you're going to grow and you're going to mature and you're going to produce fruit. That's a natural byproduct of being attached to the source. You pluck a fruit from its vine or from its tree and it immediately starts to die. It starts to die the moment you remove it. And the same is true with disciples. Our connection to the vine is what gives us life. Abiding in the Lord is what makes us effective and useful servants. What puts your soul in jeopardy is not a lack of productivity. What puts your soul in jeopardy would be a lack of connectivity. You do because you love. You're productive because you abide. Now, we've got to keep in mind who Jesus is talking to here and the context in which he is speaking these words. Remember, this is an after-dinner conversation. Jesus is about to be crucified, and as he and his closest friends are reclining at the table, he's giving them some final instructions. And what he's not saying is, hey, you'd better straighten up. you better straighten up or you're going to be turned into a french fry for all eternity. Just remember what I've told you or else. He's not saying you better cross all your T's and dot all your I's. No, that's not what he's saying. Remember the context. Remember what he said to his disciples in John 14, 1 and following. He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also." Jesus is actually encouraging his disciples. He's not warning them to bear fruit or else. Verse 2 of John 15 tells us that the more fruitful branches are the ones who are pruned. And then in verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. In the Greek, the word pruned here is the same word for clean. Jesus' disciples had already been pruned. They weren't in danger of being thrown in the fire. He's assuring them that they are not the bad branches. Now, remember, Judas Iscariot is gone at this point. He would probably be considered bad fruit and a bad branch, right? But for those who remained at the table with Jesus, they were good. They were fruitful. Why? Well, because they were part of the vine. They were connected vine to him. They had the relationship. Jesus's words are words of comfort, not harshness or sternness. The disciples are worried. Their hearts are troubled. They don't fully understand what's going on. I mean, why does Jesus have to leave? And so their heads are spinning and they're trying to make sense of it all. And Jesus simply says, stick with me. It's going to be okay. Just stick with me and you'll be fine. I think I've mentioned to you before that my grandfather was a master gardener He had a large garden at our house, and then he had a smaller garden at his house, and he worked in the garden all day, it seemed like. He could grow just about anything, and and it was of a high quality. And and actually, if he was here today, he would probably correct me on that and say, "I, I didn't really grow anything. He always gave God the credit. God was the master gardener in his mind. My dad, who recently became a Christian, but even even when I was growing up as a farmer, he would often talk to me about the germination process and how it's a miracle of God, that God is the one who causes the harvest. My grandfather and my father always gave God the credit for the harvest. You know, Paul did the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. In other words, the gardener gets all the glory, right? And do you know why the gardener gets all the glory? Because he's the one that tends to the vine. He does the pruning. There would be no garden, no vine, and no fruit without him. My grandfather worked hard in that garden my dad worked hard to get out his crops but both fully believed that ultimately God was the one responsible for all of it. Which brings us to a critical point. Again, we tend to tie all this together in John chapter 15 to productivity and how productive we are as Christians. It's about my effectiveness as a child of God. If I'm a good branch and I bear good fruit, then God must be proud of me. If I'm a bad branch, then I'm going to be cut off and thrown in the fire and there's no hope for me. But that's not exactly correct. We think this way because we are a product of our culture. In our world, we associate worth with productivity. The more you get done, the more valuable you are. So be busy, keep all the plates spinning. That's where your value is found. We even compete to see who's the busiest. You know, it's kind of funny because people would jokingly ask me for a long time, so you only work one day a week. And you know that's that kind of could be true right now, if it wasn't for me you know filling my time with other things, since we can't be together, and you know since I can't do a lot of visiting, I've had conversations with people, and maybe you have as well, and they'll say something like, "So, what have you been doing? Oh, well, just been busy. Oh, you don't even know what busy is. It's like we're competing to see who's the busiest, and therefore, who has the most worth. You ever been sleeping on the couch and your spouse walks in, you immediately jump up and act like you're doing something because you feel guilty? Yeah. Why do we do that? Because we feel like productivity is what makes us worthy. It reminds me of the the Seinfeld episode, those of you who are Seinfeld fans, where George just acts stressed out all the time so that his boss will think he's busy. Every time they walk by his office, he's throwing his hands up in the air and he's yelling and he's acting stressed so that they will think that he's busy. Because that's really what it's all about. If you're stressed to the max, if you have heart problems and things like that because of your work, you must be valuable. You must be worthwhile. But Jesus says basically, you can be busy at a lot of things and still not be productive. The most important thing is your connection, the relationship. Busyness is often the standard and productivity is often the goal and we take this mentality and we apply it to our spiritual lives and we see passages like John 15 in that same light and we place everyone into one of two categories, good branch or bad branch. Good branches are productive, bad branches are not. Pruned branches go to heaven. Non-productive branches go to hell. If I do good, I get a mansion, a robe, and a crown. If I don't do well, I get charbroiled for all eternity. But the problem with this is that Jesus already stated, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what are you trying to prove? If apart from me, you can do nothing, what are you trying to prove? You, you think maybe that you're going to outwork 10, 10 other people? You think that maybe you're going to do the work of 100? I mean, what is it that you're trying to prove here? This isn't about you to begin with. This is about the Father and what glorifies Him. Jesus isn't talking about productivity because productivity is just simply about transactions. It's about being busy and that's it really. Again, Jesus is speaking of abiding. You're a branch, which means that your production is based solely on your relationship to the vine. You know what a branch that's separated from the vine can do? Absolutely nothing. But that's what we act like when we attempt to reach some level of production on our own. We think that we can earn this, but we've missed the whole point of Jesus' teaching here. What glorifies the Father? My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you bear much fruit? What's the only way that you can bear much fruit? By being connected to the vine. You prove your discipleship, not by productivity, not by earning it or meriting it, but through a relationship. It's your relationship with the vine that makes you productive. I'm not saying that productivity is not important. I'm not saying it's not important for you to be productive as a Christian. It's just not what comes first, and it's not what earns you anything. You are productive because of your connection. We can't get it backwards. Your fruitfulness says something wonderful about the gardener. The gardener is glorified and magnified by your relationship with Him and then what you produce because of that relationship. Again, take the words of Jesus in context. The disciples are reclining around a table in the middle of this epic after-dinner conversation. The disciples' heads are spinning. They're, They're troubled. They're concerned. And why is Jesus telling them these things? Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I want to close this morning with a a little video that I think sums up everything we've been talking about pretty well. This is a a German commercial, so unless you speak German, I think there's some subtitles you'll have to read along, but I want you to watch just this short commercial, and then I'll make a comment, and we'll be done for the day. Sag mal, Papa, habe ich dich noch gar nicht gefragt? Wie kommst du eigentlich mit dem neuen iPad zurecht, was wir dir zum Geburtstag geschenkt haben? Gut. (laughs) Mit den ganzen Apps kommst du klar? Was denn für Apps? Geh mal bitte in die Schützerseite. Was ist? Not sure if you could see it real well there, but the. The daughter asks her father how he's liking his new iPad and all the while he's, he's using it as a cutting board and then he takes it over the sink and he washes it off and he sticks it in the dishwasher. But here's the point. It's sad when, when people don't live out or fulfill the purpose for which they were created. It's sad when you see something costly being used in a way that doesn't fulfill its intended purpose, even worse, when something costly is being used for an unintended purpose. My friends, God created us for a purpose, and here it is. It's simply to glorify Him. That is our purpose. That is what we are seeking to fulfill in this life, That is the intent of God putting us here on this earth to glorify Him. And that's only going to happen if we stay connected to the vine.